everybody? So um, just before I get in the message, can I share something a little bit, a little bit personal? Is that okay? Well, we'll get to the teaching. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We'll get there in just a minute. I want to take a couple minutes at the beginning of this teaching time, though, to say to you that my, my role, my wife and I have served amongst you to advance the kingdom for the last 25 years and, and, and a few months. And only three times during the course of that, that tenure have I had to do what I feel I need to do tonight. So I, I, I need everybody's fullest attention because this is critical. This isn't something that we kind of think about. Like, this is important. My job as a shepherd, um, and pastor is the word shepherd uh, in, in the Bible, it's pastor and shepherd are the same word. My role, as I understand it, is to lead God's people to places of refreshing and nourishment. My, my role is a lot of different facets beyond that, but my, my primary functionality here as your pastor has been to teach you the Word of God, to pray, to marry, to bury, to, to be involved in life, and, and only a few times I've had to stand here and really give uh, what I'm about to do right now, um, and that is to call out a wolf. Everybody's freaking out because you think it's you. It's not. Everybody got quiet, like, oh, he knows. That's scary, wasn't it? Yeah. It's okay, Kim. Breathe in. Breathe out. It's not you, sister. It's not. <laughs> there is a division that is being propagated amongst this congregation against this congregation. Um, I, am, for one, applaud um, change. I applaud debate. I applaud vigorous truth-sharing. I always have, and I always will. I think if religion or religious institutions such as a local church ever becomes uh, a governor of language, you should probably leave that church. Does that make sense? But beyond the, the honesty and the debate of ideas and the change that is in progress and the things that are coming and going, there's a mean-spiritedness that has snuck into the anti-social media that causes me tremendous concern we have given our lives to build God's kingdom with you and among you. But when I see the language, when I see the, the disparagement of a brother or a sister, when I see what only Satan would say coming out of a brother or sister's fingers onto social media, then it is time for me as a shepherd to stand up and say, it is time for this to stop. Whether you know it or not, whether you believe this or not, there probably is about 5% of people on one side of an issue that are extraordinarily vocal and extraordinarily passionate. On the other side, about 5%, extraordinarily vocal, extraordinarily passionate. I applaud both sides until, until it becomes a war of words where truth is no longer the goal, but defeating your enemy is. If it has flesh and blood, it is not our enemy. This church is intricately involved in the social issues of our day. We literally have connections to, every, to, to, to the 5% of the 5%, and we stand in the middle as peacemakers should, and we broker conversations, and we broker understandings, and we buy the coffee. When, when anybody decides not to meet anymore, but just call it with, with viciousness, um, then a pastor has to step in and say, that is no longer appropriate, it needs to end here. It needs to end now with a deep repentance. The devil has enough free advertising without our hearts being involved in propagating accusations against brethren. And so I would ask you this. 
words were called into action before the fall of man for three purposes. It was to create what was not. They could create it. It was to bless what was, and it was to set in order that which did not have order. And I would simply ask you to do this, regardless if it's conversation in private or in public, social media or not such social <laughs> media, I would ask you to ask those three questions. Is what I'm about to say, if what I'm about to do, what I'm about to type, does it create what does not exist that God wants to exist? Does it, does it uh, bless what God has established? And does it set order where God desires order? Does that make sense? So I would ask that just before I get in the Word tonight that we would concert our hearts in a, in a moment of prayer as a congregation that we would find ourselves vigorously debating every issue in a biblical and peaceful manner and no longer reducing it to the names and the blame and the shame. When sin entered the Garden of Eden, that's when it was all Eve's fault, all Adam's fault, all the serpent's fault, and by default, all God's fault. And God said, no, 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 I can't bless that. If we want the world to change, it will change because salt and light enters darkness, not because there's more darkness. So, Father, tonight, we bring our hearts before you, and God, I, I just thank you that your truth is, is a comforting thing, and at the same time, it's a sword. I pray that you would cut away from us that which does not align with your expressed will, clearly written for us in your word. Where there's doubt, let there be conversation. Where there's need for change, let us be vigorous in the debate. Truth doesn't have to reduce to name-calling. Truth doesn't need profanities to be more true. Truth just needs to be true. So in love, with patience, we reduce this argument to one thing, and that is a desire for the glory of God to be seen to be heard, and to be known. And I pray that you would temper our comments, even our hearts, God, if there's unforgiveness in our heart because those people or that group or that movement, no, not tonight. We're all about the movement of the Holy Spirit. And I pray, God, let the movement of the Holy Spirit enter the movements of man so that men can lead uh, righteous lives in peace. And I just thank you, God. A lot of wrongs to be righted. So I pray we wouldn't be silent. That's not what this is for. Let us speak when it's time to speak, but let us speak in peace to a storm that obeys peace. Let us not be a, an addition to the storm. Let us be the end of it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You guys okay? All right, good. Open your Bibles. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. Matthew 6 in verse 9. And uh, just by way of quick review, this is what you know. This then is how you should pray, Jesus says. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. You got, we've been studying this for a month. We haven't gotten past the first two sentences. How many of you guys know it's going to be a long summer? But, but I also know this, that tonight we're going to be talking about really how, how teaching, how words become formation, how they, it isn't just what I know, it's who I am. And that is a process that takes more than conversation, more than enlightenment, more than information. So there's, there's three schools I would consider relative to us tonight as it pertains to us getting uh, deeper into this thing called prayer, but just understanding God's heart in this thing called prayer. So the three schools of discipleship is this, inspiration, application, and perspiration. Let me just take a second and explain that. If I were to say something to you you didn't know, that's information. If I were to inspire you by something, that, that a story, a testimony creating culture, oh, I didn't know that. And so information, culture, testimony creates this great thing of inspiration. We need to be inspired. We need to want to do. How many guys know you'd be a lot better if your want to, you know, actually matched your, your should do? 
right? I mean, I just wish that your diet, that you had a want to that aligned with your should do. Just me. Okay, good. Well, you're still under conviction, aren't you? Like, I, th- I thought it was me. I thought it was calling me out, right? So, in, in, uh, inspiration, then application. We have to take what's information that inspires us to actually figure out how to work it. How many guys know there's a lot of great nouns in the Bible, but until we, we convert them into some great verbs, nothing's changing, right? Oil is not light. Oil has to be lit with a wick so that light can happen. So you're the light of the world. Oil's wonderful, but if the oil's not lit, you're just greasy, right? The third thing is perspiration. Sometimes, as in universally without exception, sometimes you will be tested in what you've believed and acted on. Anybody know this? Anybody ever said, God, I'm going to tithe from this day forward? And that's when the tires all blew up, the dog got sick, the kid needed to go to college, and it was a big surprise to everybody. Right? That was when, when you say, you know what, I'm going to be faithful to church every Sunday. I'm not going to miss a Sunday, God. I'm going to be faithful in your house to worship. And that was the first week that the, you know, hey, the beach, and we got the thing, and you want to go, we got a boat, and it was this big test. How many of you know that as soon as your faith moves you, there'll always be a testing of that faith? Why? Because it's the testing of your faith that develops perseverance. And perseverance has a work to do, and it's got to be finished so that you can be mature and complete and not lack anything. So if I were to say, you know, how do, how do I become abundant? How do I walk in a prosperity of body, soul, and spirit? It's very simple. You trust what God said, you apply what God said, and then you go through hell. Any questions? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Say amen. Like, this is for real, right? So let's talk about this, and we're going to look at what the process looks like. We're going to look specifically at the teachings of Jesus of prayer, his interrelation with the world around him, and then the disciples watching all of this, going from, from inspiration to application to perspiration. So inspiration starts with this. Matthew chapter 9. So flip over three chapters from Matthew chapter 6. says this. Jesus went through all the towns and the villages. I love this scripture, by the way. This is awesome. Teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. How many guys wish you were there then? Teaching, preaching, declaring, healing, delivering. And that's just a, a couple of sentences talking about what it was like to be with Jesus in that day. How many guys know Jesus said, it ain't over, greater things you're going to do in my name. So this is, this is not just a testimony of yesterday. This is a calling for tomorrow. And so I, there's something that really caught my attention in this, and that's, I underlined it, disease and sickness. He healed every disease and sickness. I thought, well, what's the difference between disease and sickness? If a doctor said to you, you have a sickness, or the doctor said to you, you have a disease, would you even, like, I, they mean the same thing. How many of you guys know that disease and sickness seem like synonyms? Are you guys still here? So this is, the, so I looked it up, and disease, this is going to shock you, disease means disease, and so it's properly translated, and, and sickness means, it's the word malachia, and malachia means soft. <laughs> I thought, well, I need a lot of healing. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so he healed every disease and every, every sickness and every soft. And I went, I don't understand. So I looked up the root word of Malachia. It's the word malakos. And this is where I have to be careful because we have kids in the room. So, so I'll, I'll use either larger words or code that adults can understand, but, but hopefully the kids will not. A malakos was uh, a young boy that was a slave that was used by his master for the gratification of certain things the master wanted. A prepubescent boy, a soft, chubby, feminine uh, child. And this, now understand this, Jesus came and he not only healed their physical sicknesses, but he also healed their malachia. This is what I'm trying to say. When Jesus spoke and when Jesus prayed and when Jesus moved, it wasn't just the outside that moved. He was fixing stuff on the inside of people. When he healed every disease, it was gone. But when he healed every sickness, there was something about his words, his prayers, his eyes, 
his face, that when he spoke to you, you knew you were no longer someone who had been used, abused, and abandoned. You were now his. How many guys know that only love can do that? I love politicians. I really do. They're, they're fabulously entertaining for me. I, I love sports. Fabulously entertaining to me. I love leadership and the study of it. But understand this. There are certain mountains that only move because someone greater than you loved you and you believed it. We only receive the love we believe we deserve. But somehow, when Jesus spoke, people who had been harmed, both physically and, and by default, their soul, were somehow healed because when he said, I love you, they said, you really do, don't you? And that didn't, that didn't take away the past. That didn't mean it never happened. That didn't mean they never thought about it again. But every time that came back and said, your identity is you're a victim, the love of Jesus came back and said, but you're also a victor. I just pulled a real, what's that guy's name on Sunday morning that has the big church in Houston? I just pulled a Joel Osteen. Isn't that great? So um, Jesus was healing the inside. So watch what happens next. Look at this. We're talking about inspiration. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion. Everybody say compassion. He had compassion on them because they were harassed. They were helpless. If you were sick, there was no cure. If you were a Melikos that now was dealing with Melikea, there was nobody that could say anything. You walked around with a lifetime of shame because of what others had done to you, even though it wasn't your fault. You were born into this. You were a slave. It was difficult. They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, the word compassion, it, it, if you look at what it means, it means a churning of the bowels. And, and you say, well, that, I've had that. I've eaten a Taco Bell late at night. I know what that means. But it, but it doesn't mean that. It, and I, I, Guys, you'll get this. Girls, I don't have an analogy. But if we were playing hockey and I did a slap shot and you blocked the puck with a part of your anatomy that shouldn't block pucks. How many of you guys are following me so far? Still trying to be careful for the kid's sake. What's he mean, Daddy? Nothing. The man means nothing, right? Just young daughter. How many of you guys know we need children's ministry back as soon as possible? We're praying for you, and now we're praying for the, the, just the sudden return, you know, Jesus or children's ministry. We'll take either one, right? But that churning of the, like, oh, right? There's, the, like, there's a reaction. Understand this. Jesus didn't say, I have compassion on these people. The disciples saw him said, that dude's in pain. What they're going through is affecting him. They, they say this. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Jesus didn't say I have compassion, but, but the writer of this said, I see. I see Jesus going, oh, like he got punched in the stomach. Let's just do it that way. Like, oh, oh. I mean, I, I, got, a, I got a girl analogy for the mothers. You ready? Are you ready? My, my wife has a prophetic gift. She can see pain long before it happens. The kids are little. We're wrestling. There's a tile floor. She leaves the room. Why? Because she knows that any second now, there's going to be that sound of a skull hitting the tile floor, and, and she can feel it already. And if she, have you ever seen a child like start to fall, and you get that, oh! how many of you guys know what I'm talking about? Ladies, you got this one? Guys, do you get this too? I get this, but I'm extraordinarily compassionate. And, and I, but the, you see that you're like, oh, and you feel it in your heart. Jesus, the look on Jesus' face said, oh, they don't have anybody. They don't have anything. So now, again, inspiration. The inspiration of this, note, Jesus didn't say he had compassion. They saw it. So the disciples have now seen what the Father's will is. Remember the teaching. How can we pray the will of God unless we know the will of God? If you're looking at the Son of God, he's going, oh, you know what the will of God is, to relieve the pain. How many guys know not all pain is good pain, but some pain is good pain? I go so far as to say some pain is God pain. And if you ignore all pain, you will miss the calling. The greatest superpowers that you can possess do not come out of pleasure. They come out of pain. 
If, if my grandson or my granddaughter is inside of a burning building, you can put a statue of a fireman, 260 pounds, chiseled, 25 years old, and this old, mellicose, flabby, you know, soft guy can run through him. Why? Because my, if my grandson or my granddaughter is inside of a burning building, I will just knock him down. I'll kill him to save my grandkids. And if I can't save them, I'll wrap my arms and I'll die with them, but they're not dying alone. How many of you know what I'm talking about? One of the greatest things we have going for us is the ability to feel pain. Why would a loving God give us the ability to feel something so incredibly unpleasant as pain? It's because it tells us something's wrong, where it's located, so that we can do something about it. And so he sees this, this terrible thing, and we know now what the Father's will is. And so now Jesus takes them from inspiration to application. Look what happens, Matthew chapter 9. You still here? Matthew chapter 9, verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, listen, guys, there's this huge thing happening. It's plentiful. The harvest. There's just, there's just so much of it you can't even imagine. The problem is not the size of people that need this. The problem is not the, that there's no need for this. People don't want this anymore. People are, have moved on. People are fine with Judaism. People are fine with paganism. The, the problem is not the abundance of harvest. The problem is I can't find people that want to go to work. I can't find people that see it, are moved by it, as you've seen me moved by it, and actually want to turn the noun of their pain into the verb of relieving it. So he says, ask. And that, I put in parentheses my own word there, pray. You, you've, you've seen what happens, and because of that, now, do you feel it? Do you see it? Do you, you've been with me. You've watched. This guy was a, was a leper. He hadn't held his child in five years. He thought he was going to die smelling like a dumpster behind a Mexican restaurant in August all alone, abandoned by everybody, and I put my hand on him, and by the way, which broke the Levitical law, I touched a leper because I'm not afraid of catching leprosy. I want him to catch what I have, which is holiness and righteousness and the power of God. He touches the leper, and the leper becomes clean, and that guy got to go home and hold his baby, and the disciples saw that, and so there's this building, this building inspiration. We want to change the world. We want to see God's kingdom come. We want to pray. We want to know. So then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers refuse. So it's time to do something about it. It's time to relieve that pain through prayer. Pray that the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Now, eyes right here. Hear me. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is taught on prayer. So why is he doing this again? Because inspiration without application will never produce the change that produces a bride of Christ that has no spot and no wrinkle. If teaching were sufficient for righteousness, which is right living before God, if teaching, then Jesus would have sent a book. God would have spoken a book through Moses. God would have spoken a book through John. God would have spoken a book through Matthew. Jesus had to come to show them because it isn't enough to know the truth. You have to know the truth in, in, a, in an embraced sense. Well, the Bible says you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The word know there doesn't mean to have mental assent. It means to be intimate with. You will be intimate with the truth. It'll be what you live. It'll be who you are. And that living and that doing and that being will set you free. So your prayer life changes when what's in need is yours. Now, I, I, want, you to, I want you to get this. He's led in this place where they have compassion on the crowd. Let's do a, a quick example. You guys doing good? This says I still have 27 minutes left. Don't look at your watch. I'm your pastor. Trust me. Okay. Let's say this. Let's say on the other side of the planet tonight, of the world's three and a half billion children, there's one in a, in a third world country up in the mountains that none of us ever heard of. And tonight she's really sick. Matter of fact, if, if something doesn't happen in the form of medicine, in the form of miracle, in the form of something, she's going to die. How many of you guys would feel moved to pray for that little girl? 
Okay, let me just take another step. Okay, now it's not across the world. It's a child on the other side of the room. One of our little ones is in the room right now. She's carried in by a parent says, please, she, she can't breathe. Please, she's dying. Please, the, the, her eyes have crossed. Their, their pupils are dialing. Please, any prayer. How many of you guys know that the proximity of that need probably changes the way we pray? We prayed for the little girl on the other side of the world. God bless that little girl and heal her and, and you know, touch her body. Amen. Hey, who wants to go to Denny's? You feel like pancakes? But if that little girl was in this room right now, how many of you guys know we'd stop everything we're doing to pray for the little girl? Take it a step farther. What if that little girl was your little girl or your little boy? How many of you guys know that the closer we are to the need, the more we feel the pain and the greater effect our prayers have? Does this make sense to you? And so what Jesus has been doing is he's taking them from, from inspiration. Here's my teaching. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Everybody repeat after me, and they repeat after me. Got it, good, okay. But you've got to add to that something more moving than nouns and verbs and adjectives and conjunction, junction. That's the function, right? We have to take what is taught tonight... Hear me, what's been taught the last three weeks, and if it doesn't find an expression in our lives motivated primarily by pain, we will find ourselves knowing all about prayer, but our prayer life's not changing at all. Do you understand what I'm saying? You guys okay? I'm yelling too much. The kids are like, why is he so angry, Mommy? The answer is because I'm, I'm a pastor. No, I'm just kidding. All right. So they see the miracle. We said, wow, it was rough, wasn't it? Okay, all right. So they saw the miracles, they saw the change of life. Inspiration, application, last one, perspiration. Piano girl, join me if you would. This is what Jesus says. It's brilliant. Watch this. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits. And, and I'm going to put the word power in there. Power to heal every disease and sickness. There's the same word, melakeia. So not only does Jesus do this stuff, he calls the disciples, guys, I'm going to deputize you. Now please get this. If I were to say, Pastor Ian, I know you got to go, but can I use you as an example real quick? Okay, so I, I'm, I'm Sheriff Chris Swanson. You can tell because we have the same physique. Do you see it from your angle? Okay, good. Only his is up here. And, and Anyway, so I, and I walk up and say, listen, I want you to be a deputy of the Genesee County, and I give you a badge, and I give you a gun. Thank you. What I've just done is I've given him authority. In the name of the law, he can make arrests when laws have been broken, right? I've given him authority. I've also given him power that's sitting on his hip in the form of a 9mm or a 40 caliber or whatever it is, right? He has authority and power. Listen, Jesus didn't call us to go to church. Jesus deputized us with authority and power. Here's your badge. Here's your gun. Do what I do wherever you go. And he does this. He calls him in. Now, understand this, guys. Please hear me. So this, this is, he taught him on prayer in Matthew chapter 6. And between chapters 7 and 9, he showed them what happens when he prayed. And then he, he says, guys, do you see this? Yeah, it's awful. The smell, the sight, the, the tears, the, the, the weeping, I, the cries of those who are mourning their dead children. And this is, these are the stories between chapter 6 and chapter 9. The leper that was, man, the, the two demon business guys and the Gadarenes. The, man, it's just, this world's dangerous. This world's harsh. There are people that are really, really suffering, both, both from, from disease and Malachia, and they're broken. Yeah, you know, you know what I'd love to do? I'd love for everybody to open their eyes and see that it's not a political problem. And it's not a money problem. And it's not a societal or a cultural. You know what the problem is? Everybody's waiting for hope. I just can't find enough people to share it. I can see the disciples going like, like well, we should do something about that. Let's have a let's have a campaign. Let's have a rally. Let's let's start a Facebook, 
twit page or I don't, I don't know what it is. You know what I mean? And, and we'll, we'll, you know, but they wanted to do something. And he said, you know, why don't you do this? Let's just start here. You know those fields we were just talking about? It's breaking your heart? Yeah. Okay. Let's just pray and ask God to send somebody. And so they do. That's the end of Matthew chapter 9. The beginning of Matthew chapter 10, Jesus goes, boys, congratulations. God has answered your prayer. They're like, awesome, who is it? <laughs> I had somebody found fault with something the other day, and it was a legitimate miscommunication. He called me and said, hey, I would have said something to you about it on Sunday, but I knew as soon as I did, you put me in charge of it. That's <laughs> what so I didn't tell you. <laughs> I said, that's smart, you know. There is a problem. Go fix it, you know. But can I tell you something? I, sometimes that's exactly what God does, isn't it? He, he shows us something. If we'll open our eyes, he'll break our heart until we have to do something, even let's just pray. And it is not uncommon at all that God says, congratulations, the Father will answer your prayer now. There will be someone sent to that field because of your prayers. And it's you. And it's you. I, Kim, I don't mean to embarrass you, but did you start the, the single mom's ministry because of the money and the fame? Or was there some other reason? You saw people that had a need and you knew what it was to be on the receiving end of that need. And you're transforming the lives of women. Pastor Carl, I'd never forget when you said, I want to be on staff at the Freedom Center. I said, great, what's your vision? And you said, whatever you want me to do, man. I said, oh, you don't have a vision. Poor guy. Six months later, I want to be on your staff. I want you to be on my staff. What do you want to do? What's in your heart? My heart is to serve God's people and advance the kingdom. You just tell me what to do. I'm like, oh, he still doesn't have a vision, but I really, really like him. I, I mean, it's going to be a shame, but it's going to be Pastor Faye and, and old what's-his-face pretty quick if he doesn't get a vision, you know? Six months later, Pastor Carl, I'm, I'm, man, what's your vision? He goes, my, why do you keep asking me? You keep asking me, I tell you, and then you delegitimize. He said, listen, I just see what I could do if you just let me get it in the game. And, and, and I said, oh, your vision is my vision. He's like, that's what I've been saying for a year and a half. I said, what we need is somebody to work with the three, four, and five-year-olds. I thought for sure he'd be like, well, let me pray about that. I, I don't know about that. You know what he said? He goes, I'll serve anywhere. Because I believe in what God's doing here. What is that? That's, that's, we've been praying, God send laborers, God send laborers. God. And you know how many people in this room I could single out right now and say, you know why you're here right now? Because I prayed and you showed up. And because you prayed and they showed up and they prayed and she showed up. You know why? Because when we see something that needs to be done and we take that need to God, it is not uncommon that God either meets the need through somebody else or oftentimes through you. He saw needs, she saw needs, and God said, I'm going to answer your prayer. Guess what, Pastor Carl? Guess what, ministry director? I'm going to answer your prayer. Guys, I, I'm just saying this tonight, okay? You say, what, what would I do? How would I, I don't know how to, my prayer life is, Lord, bless this food, and Lord, bless my kid driving home from college in the blizzard, and oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz, and how, do, how does that morph into something more practical? Let me just start you right here, and I'll end. Matthew chapter 10 says, and these 10 Jesus sent out. Let me go, the last thing is this. John chapter 4, verse 35. This is, a different gospel, but if I understand the chronology of it, this happened before Matthew chapter 9 and 10. And this is what he says, and, and I would say this to you. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until the harvest? Jesus says, but I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields because they're ripe unto harvest. I'm going to go full-blown Christmas story on you. I triple-dog dare you to not turn the channel the next time it breaks your heart. I triple-dog dare you to drive down that street 
in that neighborhood that God's been dealing with you about. I triple dog dare you to invite your neighbor over for the 4th of July. I triple dog dare you to take your faith beyond the comfort and consistency of the rhythms and the patterns of Western Christianity that is a wonderful noun and is filled with beautiful traditions. But if it wasn't for people praying and being obedient to what they heard, there wouldn't be a single ministry in this church because they all came out of people that saw something that wasn't being done. It killed them until they prayed. God answered their prayer. And, and not only did God kill them with that, God thrilled them with that because when you get to be a part of the solution to the stuff that's been killing you, how many of you know life's pretty good? Kim, you having fun? Pastor Carl, you having fun? I'm having fun. You've been doing this for 25 years. When are you going to retire? I'm not sure I've even started working yet. It's just been, well, not all of it. A lot of it's been a lot of fun. Some of it's been like deacon meetings and stuff, but most of it's been a lot of fun, you know? Sand your feet. Nobody leave. You can't be dismissed yet because it's against the law. Don't make me bring the governor here next week. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Oh, I almost made a pain joke. Don't do that. Stop, 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 stop. stop. Okay. Close your eyes. Father, I pray that we'd have the courage to open our eyes and see, to look at the fields. In the fields, there's children that are being abused and neglected and need a family. In the fields, there's addicts that are ready to take their life because they can't find anything besides the chains of addiction. In the fields, there's people that are so lost, so scared, they do anything. And they're being used and manipulated. In the fields, there's children being sold for the sexual gratification of 70-year-olds. In the fields, in the fields, there's people that have believed lies and they're living their life miserable, living, going through hell on their way to hell. In the fields, there's hunger. This isn't heaven. And I pray, God, that we would see the needs and our hearts would break for them. That's my prayer tonight. I thank you for comforting the afflicted. But God, tonight my prayer is that you would afflict the comfortable. That our Christianity be more than our morality, what we don't do, because good people don't do that. Let, let, our, let our Christianity have an expression that looks like Jesus. When we're sent by you, deputized with authority and power, we will see the mountains move. When we go for other reasons, we just, we just take a walk. So I pray tonight, God, open our eyes that you would see the field. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Listen tonight before we go. If you're not right with the Lord, that's, that's not at all uncommon. And I don't mean to single you out like, oh, sinner. I, I, listen, the, the man who's preached to you tonight, it is very possible, stands guiltier before God without his forgiveness than you do because of what I know. But the reason I'm not standing before God guilty tonight is because I've received the mercy that was expressed for me and for you when God the Father sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die in my place, thereby paying my debt setting me free. The pain I feel now is not the pain of the regret of the past. It's the pain of the fields that, that cry out in pain, and I want something to be done. I, I want to I help. I want to, and so we organize, and we strategize, and we pray, and we give, and we serve, and life now has a meaning on this side of the resurrected body of Jesus Christ that it never had before. Tonight, if you're not right with God, and I'll say it for two reasons. One is because sin separates your heart. And the other one is because you just, you've never looked at the field. I, I just want to be honest with you. 
I wouldn't, I wouldn't know how to be a Christian without looking at the field. It's like saying I'm a football player and never putting on pads and hitting somebody. I, I don't, you're not a football player. You're a football fan. Father, tonight I pray, make us players in your kingdom. Make us warriors, soldiers, servants. If you're here tonight, you're not right with God. I want to pray for you. I wouldn't ask you to do this unless it was good for you. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. But if you're like, yeah, I, there's, I just need to take a step tonight. We can't have altar calls tonight, but we can, we can identify ourselves by simply raising our hand. Tonight, if you're here, you're like, yeah, I need, I need to make some changes, Jim. I need the mercy of God. I need to correct some things. I, I, need, to get, I need to get in the game. I need to quit <laughs> sitting on the sidelines complaining about stuff. I need to actually serve people. I need to change a world that needs change, even if it's just my neighbor kid, even if it's just my brother-in-law, even if it's just my parents, even if it's just my grandchildren. Change a life, change the world. If that's you tonight, would you raise your hand right now? It's time for me to make some decisions and I'm making them tonight. Father, I pray for every uplifted hand and every open heart. Accept this simple prayer as our offering to you tonight. Break our hearts forgive our sins and use us to heal this land in Jesus name move the mountains even if there are mountains that stand between our hearts and yours forgive us and move us we pray now in your name amen